Good morning, my friends. Welcome again. Happy Mother's Day again as well to all the moms out there. Uh, so this is the second week of our series we're doing called I Am Jesus in His Own Words, where Jesus gives these very definitive I Am statements about Himself. And last week was I Am the Gate, and this week is I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. And when Jesus gives these I Am statements, it really should be italicized in the English because he's stressing it in the original language. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And so he's, he's saying to us in a very definitive way that he is the way and the truth and the life. Now, when we hear these words that Jesus gave, we can forget that he said these, this statement. It's what's called the Last Supper, that... Uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He predicts that someone at the table is going to betray him. Judas might want to work on a few things. He uh, tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times before the sun even comes up. So, of course, they're, they're, um, the disciples get upset. They get sad. They get they get downcast and disturbed by all these things that Jesus is saying to them. And Jesus can tell, he can read the room, and he can see that, that they're troubled by all that he has said and told them that is going to happen that night as they have felt the weight of what is to come resting upon them. And Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He encourages them. And the word troubled here in the original language is the word that could be used for uh, waves on the sea, churned up water, uh, agitated, disturbed. And so he's, he's, he's saying, do not let your hearts be churned up and disturbed. And the word heart is really the seat or the source or the foundation of who you are as a person. He's saying, do not let the source, the foundation of who you are, do not let it be churned up and disturbed and troubled any longer. Because Jesus is making it sound like we have a choice in the matter by what he's saying. He's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he's Sounding as if that belief, particularly personally knowing him, believing in him, is the thing that allows you to turn the corner away from letting your heart be troubled. That the, the, instead of being churned up and disturbed, believe instead. Now I know a lot of you right now probably do feel churned up. You maybe do feel disturbed. Our hearts are upended. Maybe you've recently lost your job or your business is not doing very well. Maybe you've made some really bad ethical or moral decisions, or you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe all these things could be happening, and, and Jesus' words are the same today as they were then. And he's, he's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, and believe also in me. When times get crazy, we have a tendency to listen to the crazy voices in our heads. And it's one thing to listen to those voices. It's another when we start to actually believe them. 
It's like when you feel sort of sick or you have a weird ailment and you, I'll, I'll go on the internet and we've all done this and you search for the problem. I have a weird headache, internet, what is wrong with me? And it, you have cancer, right? Or um, well, how can I get rid of belly fat? Oh, cancer, right? Um, internet, what, how, why, is, why am I losing some of my hair? Cancer. It's like, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. I'm getting all the wrong advice here. But maybe when our, when during times of crazy times, when we're looking for advice, we need truth. We need, we feel churned up and disturbed. Maybe we need to look somewhere else besides Fox News or CNN. Maybe we need to listen to Jesus' voice to hear what he has to say in the midst of trouble. Because Jesus is saying to us today, do not believe them. Believe me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in me. Jesus says these words because Jesus predicted that these disciples, some of them, we're going to sell him out. And he still gave words of comfort. He still encouraged them in the midst of what he knew was going to be a very difficult night. Where he would have a fake trial. He would get lowered in the ground in a dark pit like a criminal overnight. And then he'd be crucified the next day. He knew what was going to happen. But he still encouraged them and said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus knows what we face and he says the same, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Jesus knew what was ahead of him, but he did not back down. Hebrews 12 tells us this. We, do, we run this race with endurance. We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he disregarding its shame, and has taken the seat at the right hand of God the Father, so he, Jesus then in John chapter 14, after he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he points them to eternity, to his, to his father's house, as he calls it, which really is, another word is just where, where God's, where Jesus' father resides, which is what we would call heaven. He points the disciples' minds to his father's house. And he says that in his father's place where the father resides, there are many places to dwell. And that Jesus says, I will come and take you to myself. John 14, starting in verse 2. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus assumes that the disciples know the way at this point. Maybe they have figured it out. But then Thomas speaks up. Thomas the doubter. Thomas the skeptic. And we, we need doubters and skeptics. Because they can ask really good questions. And Thomas asks a really good question. And he gets a very good, the best answer. And he says to the Lord, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Is this not the question of humanity? Lord, we don't know where we're going after death. How can we know the way? This is the ultimate question. Left to ourselves, we don't know the way. We can't do it on our own. And Jesus gives the perfect answer. 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A lot of people will ask today, what is God like? And the, the short answer is, look at Jesus and you know what God is like. That Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is God. If you want to see the Father, Jesus says, look at me. If you know me, he says, you know the Father. And from now on, he says, you do know him, and you have seen him, and I am the way and the truth and the life. If you know me, personally know me, he says. For those of us that are parents of young children, or maybe you, your kids are grown up, but we all know this, that when you teach your kid how to tie their shoes, it's always a bit of a, of a, of a journey. And when we taught our son how to tie his shoes, the, the one knot would quickly turn into a double knot, and then it would turn into a triple knot, sometimes a quadruple knot. I think one time maybe it was a quintuple knot I found on a shoe, a tower of, of shoelaces all knotted up, and then of course you have to go somewhere, and you're trying to get their foot into the shoe and untangle the knot, and, and it's, it's quite the ordeal, and then sometimes just by, almost by accident, you pull the right string, and the whole knot comes undone. And I would say to you that in many ways, personally knowing Jesus is the strand that once it's pulled is what, is, is what will undo the knots of our lives. That personally knowing him, if the relationship with him is right, if we know Jesus and the relationship is right, it will set us free. It will undo a lot of chains and knots will come free. It's, it's similar to, you know, because if the relationship is right, everything else makes sense. It's like marriage for those of us who are married, or maybe you're in a committed relationship. And on, on the surface of a marriage, there's a lot of business that happens, right? You've got to keep the house clean. You've got you to uh, you update your finances. You have to discipline the children. Uh, and especially during quarantine, there's a lot of cooking and cleaning. We feel like we're running a 24-7 diner. I could probably take a job at Waffle House after this if I wanted to. I mean, it's been crazy. So there's a business side to, to, any, relate, to any marriage. And, but then if, if the relationship is off, all the business part doesn't work. And so one partner could say to the other, you know what, I feel like we're kind of missing each other. So we, maybe well, let's get back together and talk and, and reconnect and be in sync with each other. And then the business side of it works again, right? But without the relationship, nothing works. And it's like that with, with God. Without a relationship with Jesus, without personally knowing him, nothing else will work. And he's saying this to, to Thomas. He's saying, if you know me, you know the Father. But there's an if there. there there's a possibility there that you can know him personally. See, informational knowledge... It's not the same as personal knowledge. You can have inf information about God and not know God. You can have information about Jesus and not know Jesus. As he says again, if you know me, you know the Father personally. 
Of course, you have to start a relationship with informational knowledge. Who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? Right? Relationships start there. But to get personal, it has to happen from the inside. Tim Keller, the pastor, gives a great illustration about this. Where he says, let's say, for example, you wanted to get to know someone. You wouldn't go up to them, or you'd go up to them and say, hey, uh, I'd like, maybe you and I could, could hang out sometime. And the other person could say, oh yeah, sure, let's go get coffee next week. You, you would never say, no, 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 I want to know you now. We're going to get to know each other right now. Like, it doesn't work that way, right? Relationships don't work that way. From the outside in, relationships only work on the inside of saying, okay, sure, that sounds good, let's have coffee. And then you have a personal conversation and you get to know each other. Personally knowing Jesus from the inside is the strand that once it's pulled, it unlocks so much in your life, moving from informational knowledge to personally knowing him. Until you decide, and if you agree to personally know Jesus, then none of Christianity is going to make sense because Christianity is about a person. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a transactional thing where you just get right or wrong answers. Too many people go through the Bible, if they do at all, and just look for what's right or what's wrong. Of course, the Bible gives thousands of great pieces of advice about so many different subjects, but ultimately, Christianity is about a person. It's about a person. And because Christianity is about a person, you have to go to the person first in a personal relationship with him. Personal knowing is the key to so many things in life. But when it comes to the biggest topic of God, too many people choose to not go deeper and give God their hearts, the seat, the source, the foundation of who you are. And and too many people seem to think that I'll just, I'll, I'll keep it locked up. That feels too personal for me. I don't know if I want to do that. Too much of a risk to be vulnerable, to give my heart to Jesus, seems like too much of a risk. But Jesus' words, again, are the same today. Do not let your heart be troubled. But maybe the only way your heart can stop being troubled is if you give it to me, to believe in me, to trust me, to personally know me. Many are afraid because, like I said, it's too vulnerable, too personal. But see, our God is a personal God. And if you don't give him your heart and you keep it locked up into yourself, then you may end up losing it anyway. See, personal relationships, they're only a risk if the other side of the relationship is an untrustworthy person. But Jesus is not untrustworthy. He's the most trustworthy C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia and many books, has a great quote about this where he says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, 
motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. See, if you keep your heart from God, from personally knowing Jesus, you could lose the very thing you wanted to begin with, which is peace, peace with God. We need to do this. We need to personally know Jesus. We need to personally know the way because we get lost. We just get lost. Many years ago, about 20 years ago, in fact, I was working for a ministry that uh, we did a lot of driving and we did a lot of mission work for people's homes. And this was back before we had GPS on your phone. So you had to do what people have done for ages, which is pull into a gas station and ask a human being where you're supposed to go. And I was trying to find a town called Cherryville. Maybe you've heard of it. It's near Gastonia. And I was looking for Cherryville. And I go into this gas station. I say to this woman at the counter, I say, excuse me, madam, in your fine establishment, can you tell me where Cherryville is? And she says, huh? And I said, Cherryville, you know, like cherries, it's a fruit, and vills where people live, you know, like Cherryville. And she said, oh, you mean Cherville. And then I thought, okay, we had a failure of communication. But now we understand that we're talking about the same place. And that once I knew the way and I stopped being lost, I knew where I was supposed to go. And Jesus is saying here that he is the way. That once you know him and personally know him, then, then we know the way to go. Because he is the physical way, the spiritual way with which to follow we need to remember that Jesus says that it is all his work. What does he say to the disciples in the passage we read earlier? He says, I will go and prepare a place for you, and then I will come and take you to where I am. How remarkable. That after this life is over, it's all entirely a work of Jesus. That's why this is called God's grace. It's entirely his work, his power, his ability, his very being is who takes us to his father's dwelling. We all need to personally know the way because we all get lost. And if you're lost today, you can be found and you can know the way, that he is the way. We also need to personally know the truth because we all believe Lies, a lot of lies, a lot. Uh, one of the greatest theologians who ever lived was a guy named Karl Barth. And Karl Barth has written many books, uh, very thick books about theology and God. And the famous story of him is that one day one of his students in class asked him to share what is the greatest truth that he has ever known, of all of his studying, of everything that he's ever learned, of all the great thoughts that he's had, what's the greatest truth? And all of his students sat up on the edge of their seats and they began to lean in to hear what profound thing Professor Bart was going to say. And he slowly answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Truth! The ultimate truth, so simple a child could understand it, but that we need to know this truth because we all get lost. We all get lost. We need to know the truth because we all believe lies. 
In his book, The Closing of the American Mind, Alan Bloom says that there's one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of, that almost every student entering the university believes, or they say they believe, that truth is relative. And what that really means is that I can have my own truth, and you can have your own truth. It's what's called moral relativism. Everybody is the own decider of our own truth. And this is classic postmodern thought. That instead of one umbrella that covers us all, now we each have our own umbrella. And we decide underneath that umbrella what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. But the great irony of moral relativism is when, what, when your truth inflicts on my truth and I demand that you believe in my truth. Then we kind of want it both ways. We want to be our own God and believe what I want as long as you better dang well believe what I believe. It's a very contradictory worldview. Jesus, thankfully, he clears the air here for us all when he simply says, I am the truth. I'm the truth, he says. My very being, who I am, my teaching, I am the truth. My teaching should be absolute in your life more than your politics or your opinions or anything else. I am the truth. We don't create our own truth. As created beings, what arrogance. That he is the truth. He is the way. See, truth is not a concept that we decide for ourselves. We're not God. He's saying truth is a person. Jesus Christ is truth. Who he is is truth. And if you know him personally, you will know the truth. You will know him, and it will set you free. He will set you free if you know him as in per, a personal way, as the truth. Jesus always tells the truth. He's like Superman. He always tells the truth. In verse 1, as we read earlier, he says to the disciples, if it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? He's saying, I don't lie to you. If it were not so, I would have told you. What I tell you is truth. Everything he says is truth. Every word he ever uttered is truth. His whole life was perfect. He's truth. Lastly, we need to personally know the life because we're all dying. I know it's kind of a bummer, but our, our, our lives have a beginning and an end. It's just a sta- statement of fact. We all need to know the life because everything breaks down. The second law of of thermodynamics, I'm not a physicist, but I know the concept of entropy, which that things basically in a closed system begin to, they slowly uh, give out, they break down, they wear out. Because of sin in our world, things break down. And unfortunately in our planet, more people know more about killing than they know about living. And this all the more points to our need for a savior who is the life. The famous World War II General Omar Bradley, who the Bradley tank is named after. He said, we have grasped the mystery of the Adam, and yet we've rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. We know more about killing than we know about living. So true. 
We need to know the life because we're dying. And we need his life within us. Psalm 39 In many other psalms beautifully lay out the the brevity of life. Lord, let me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. It's so true. The quickness of time. It's here and it's over with. I've had many older people say to me, you know what, to really enjoy your children when they're young, is it so true? Because the days are long, the days can be very long, but the years can feel short. That's the strange thing about time. But you can't really tell young people that. Young people think that old people have always been old. They forget that old people used to be young like them. And old people look at young people and they think, you have no idea. But if you're lucky like me to live long enough, you'll, you'll, you'll find out. You'll find out what it's all about. A thousand years to God is like a day, as Second Peter tells us. And even if, even if I make it to 100 years old, I probably won't even know what's going on. I don't know if I even want to make it to 100 years old. Things have a beginning, and they have an end. We're like the grass, as Psalm 102 says. We're here today, and we're gone tomorrow. It's a statement of fact. And that we need to know the life because we're all dying. And when Jesus says this I am statement, I am the life, he's God. He's not speaking in the midst of time in the way that we lived our life. Of course, he lived in time, but he's God. He's speaking into our time as one who lives eternally. He's saying, I am the life. I am the life. See, death is not the end of your story if you know Jesus. Death is a door that's opening to a new season of life. And Jesus says, I will come and take you to myself, even though, yes, I know that you're but made of dirt and and my breath in your lungs, but I, I am the life. And he has the authority to say that he is the life because he has conquered death. My friends, personally knowing Jesus, it's the strand that once you pull it, it unlocks the knots in your life. Not that you're going to have a perfect life or a, or a prop life without any problems. That's not what I'm saying. But you can have peace with God. You can know Jesus and know that he is the way and the truth and the life. As he says, if you know me, you, you will know the Father. So that's our prayer for you today. To maybe say to Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. And that's what he wants. And his promises are true. And you can know that he is the truth. I'd be honored to pray with you right now. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life. That if we know you, we can know the Father and have peace with you, God. And I pray for anyone watching at this time that needs peace with you. They're tired. Their hearts are troubled like the waves of the the sea. They're tired and worn out. May the peace of Jesus Christ flood over them and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may they know that you are the way because we get lost. And I pray that we would know that you are the truth. 
because we believe too many lies. Help us hear what you have to say about us, Lord, not what someone else has to say, but that you say that we are your beloved. We are your sheep of the pasture that you will find and seek out and bring unto yourself. And Lord, I pray that we would know that you are the truth in all things and that you are the life. Even though we may die, we shall live if we believe and trust in you. We lift you this time of worship, Lord, and we say that we love you. We are here to worship. We're here to say that you're our God, that you are a light that has stepped down into our darkness, into our death and our problems, that you willingly come with your grace to change our lives. May we lift our voices, Lord, and know you in spirit and in truth at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.